I'd like to start out with just a short prayer. Father, may my words today reflect your heart and give you the glory. Amen. So what does God want from us? God, who just by speaking created the universe. A universe that even with all our telescopes and fancy equipment to see into space, we still can't see the edges because it is so big. Then God placed the earth in the only spot in our solar system that is able to support life. If the earth were a few feet closer to the sun, we'd burn a few feet farther away and we'd freeze. He placed the moon just in the right distance from the earth to create tides within our large bodies of water, which keeps the waters moving and flowing so they can be filled with living creatures. And he created giraffes. Giraffes need to be able to pump blood all the way up their long necks so, so they can get blood to their brains. So God gave them a huge heart. Now with that huge heart pumping all that blood, when they bend their heads down to the ground, the pressure of that blood would cause their heads to explode. So God put baffles in those arteries to slow the blood when it needs to be slowed. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then God created man, his masterpiece, made in his image. And today, this is such a God thing, on my phone, my devotion was about being his masterpiece. And I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. And, of course, the Internet now wants me to log in. But So this is by Max Lucado, and he says, You weren't an accident. You weren't mass-produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on the earth by the master craftsman. And I thought that was so appropriate. So God made us able to think and feel and communicate in a way that is different from all other animals. Why? Why did God make us so wonderful? What does God want from us? In the small group that I'm part of, we're currently studying Focus on the Family's The Truth Project, a series on Christian worldview by Dr. Del Tackett. One of Dr. Tackett's tours, as he likes to call them, really resonated with me, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit telling me this is what I should speak about today. So what does God want from us? Well, he wants a relationship, but just to use the word relationship doesn't really do it. There are lots of types of relationships. You can have a relationship with your friends. You can have a relationship with your family. 
You can have a relationship with your pet. You can have a relationship with your car. Do you take care of your car? Do you buy the most expensive car wash for your car? Have you ever named your car? Have you ever been in a snowstorm and tried to talk your car into getting you home? Come on, I know you can do it. Just stay on the road. These are all relationships, but God wants so much more than that from us. While I didn't come up with a better word for relationship, um, there are three attributes that Dr. Tackett mentions when he talks about God's relationship with us that give it a deeper meaning. The first attribute is intimacy. Intimacy is not about a physical relationship. Anyone can have a physical relationship and not be intimate. Intimacy comes from being able to share your thoughts with another person, even if you know they won't agree with you. You can share those thoughts anyway without judgment. Intimacy is when you enjoy just being together. Who remembers the snowstorm of April 2018? At our house, we got 30 inches of snow over three days. Now you remember it, right? The snow started sometime late Friday. On Saturday morning, even though it was still snowing, Brad cleared 10 inches of heavy, wet snow off our driveway. On Sunday morning, Brad cleared another 10 inches of heavy, wet snow off our driveway. And on Monday, Brad cleared another 10 inches of heavy, wet snow off our driveway. There was no church that weekend. You couldn't get to the store. There was no going to work on Monday. If there was an emergency during that weekend, you weren't going to get help. And even though we worked to clear the driveway all weekend, our road didn't get plowed even once until sometime on Monday. We were completely dependent on each other. The good thing was the storm was well publicized ahead of time. We were prepared. We even went out for fish on Friday night because we knew it was going to be the last time we were going to leave the house that weekend. I felt that that was a very intimate weekend. We couldn't go anywhere. No one could come over. We played a lot of cribbage. We watched movies, kept the wood fire going, made popcorn, and of course shoveled snow. But we focused on each other. This is the kind of intimacy God wants from us. You focus on him, and he'll focus on you. You can tell him anything. As a matter of fact, he wants you to tell him everything. God wants you to enjoy being intimate with him. It is like a child who wants to just crawl into his parents' lap to feel safe. In John chapter 14, during the Last Supper, Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going away, but that he will come back. In verse 20, Jesus says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, 
and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. That is intimacy. Jesus dying that horrible death on the cross so that we might live in him and through him. That brings me to the second attribute God wants in his relationship with us, which is unity. All of God's children being united together. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We cannot live in unity if we don't love each other. If there is someone you're struggling with, go to that person and be reconciled with them. Ask forgiveness, talk it out, whatever it takes. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't leave your gift at the altar if you're having problems with someone. Reconcile with them before you go to the Father. Don't judge anyone, or you may be judged in the same way. And what if someone slaps you on the cheek? You turn and give them your other cheek. These things are not easy. Believe me, I am the worst of anyone. Last Thursday night during our Bible study that I am leading on the Holy Spirit, there was a question we were supposed to answer about what do we do when we're running low on love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and other Christian attributes. My answer, I get mad and I rant and I rage. I get upset at whatever I perceive as unfair or too hard. Boy, that wasn't the right answer, was it? But it is the truthful answer. And I am working hard to change, to go to God first, listen to the Holy Spirit inside me. No one is perfect, and we all fall short of the glory of we all fall short of the glory of God. But it's the the working at it and trying to be better that's important. So we must all work to be united as Christians. And if you truly want to change, the Spirit will help you. Remember, everything we do, we do for the Father. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And then he goes on and gives the statement of the unity of faith. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus wants us to love each other, and we should love each other the way he loves us. The world will try to tear us apart. Jesus will keep us together. And just think what Christians could accomplish in this world if we all truly work together through Christ. The third attribute of our relationship with God is oneness. Because Jesus lives in us, we are one with God. There are many verses in the Bible that describe this. So I will start with John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Do you feel the oneness? Do you feel Jesus living inside you? Henry Blackaby is the founder of Blackaby Ministries International. It's an organization built to help people experience God. In his book, Day by Day Devotions, he writes... The Heavenly Father's plan from the beginning of time was to place his eternal son in every believer. If you are a Christian, all the fullness of God dwells in you. He brings every divine resource with him. Every time you face a need, you meet it with the presence of the crucified, risen, and triumphant Lord of the universe inhabiting you. When God invites you to become involved in his work, he has already placed his son in you so that he can carry out his assignment through your life. Now, that's a lot of words. I'm going to read it again and a lot slower. The Heavenly Father's plan from the beginning of time was to place Christ in every believer. If you are a Christian... All the fullness of God dwells in you. He brings every divine resource with him. Every time you face a need, you meet it with the presence of the crucified, risen, and triumphant Lord of the universe inside you. When God invites you to become involved with his work, he has already placed his son in you so that he can carry out his assignment 
through your life? How do you respond to the fact that we are already equipped to live life the way God wants you to, to carry out the assignments he gives you? I often hear people say, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I can't lead a Bible study. I can't lead someone to Christ. I don't know the answers. But Christ gives us everything we need. Faith. Faith that God will give you the words when you need them. Faith that God is guiding you. Feeling that intimacy, unity, and oneness. Open yourself to these possibilities. Sit quietly and just listen. And one day you can be standing up here doing this. Because I never thought I would. I want to end my message to you today with the scripture that Randy read earlier. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be strengthened with God's power. Let Christ dwell in your hearts and be filled with the fullness of God. And now please stand as we recite the Apostles' Creed.